Welcome to the Ordinary Pastor Podcast with C.J. Mahaney and Jeff Perswell. This podcast is devoted to helping ordinary pastors with the extraordinary privilege and responsibility of serving God's people in their local church. And now, here's the podcast with your host, Mickey Connolly. Well, hi, this is Mickey, and we're back with the Ordinary Pastor Podcast. Uh, I have C.J. and Jeff here with me, and we want to finish up the topic we started last year on preaching. So guys, thanks for being willing to come back and do this again. Really looking forward to talking about application today. And uh, where I wanted to start, uh, Jeff was in actually the very first um, podcast that we did on preaching. Uh, you had mentioned that God's word uh, wasn't meant simply to be heard, but to be applied. So I think it'd be great to just review that and speak to that again in the context of specifically talking about application today. Yeah. Well, in terms of that, God's Word is meant to be applied. That is simply to recognize. I think I, think I put it this way. It's simply to recognize the nature and function of Scripture itself. Um, I think we can, in our admirable and, and necessary desire to you know, get it right, uh, to understand the text, to appropriately exegete the text, to treat the text in its appropriate context, both its you know, historical context and its literary context, um, we can't overlook the reality uh, that all of that has as its purpose addressing our lives. Excellent. Uh, as Calvin yep. said, yep. Uh, it's, it's in the preface to, to uh, his letter to the King of France. He, he, he calls the the, uh, he calls the Bible, calls Scripture, the scepter of God. And what he means, it's an incredibly insightful word. What he means by that is that God's Word is the instrument by which he rules. It's the instrument by which he rules creation. It's the, it's the instrument by which he rules us. Uh, you think of verses like Isaiah uh, 55, 11, you know, So shall my word be that comes out of my mouth. It, it shall not return void without accomplishing my purpose without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So God sends his word on a mission. You can think about that when you're mm. preaching mm. week after week. That's every good. week mm. that word is on That's a good. mission. It's meant to get something done yes. every week. Mm. Perhaps mm. my number one job mm. as a preacher is to determine mm. what is this text yes. intended mm. to get done mm. this week. Not any text not all texts. What is this text intended to get done? So that's going to be the main thrust of my sermon. So, yeah, Scripture is not Excellent. just information mm -hmm. about God. It is revelation from God addressed to us. As Paul writes, I mean, I think of 2 Timothy 3, Scripture is not only God-breathed, but the reason God breathes it, you could say, is because it is profitable. It is useful for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. So we're not just, and I, I think our guys know this, but it's helpful to remind me, it's helpful to remind oh, ourselves. Remind away. Scripture man. isn't just data that mm. we understand yes. and transmit. We're not doing exegetical papers. We're, we're not doing treatises. Scripture addresses us. It places a claim mm -hmm. on our lives. That's its very Good. nature. And so, if we, if we don't view Scripture that way and proclaim Scripture that way, we're not viewing Scripture nor proclaiming it in a way that's faithful to its intent. So, that's what I would Excellent. say yep. about that. It's, it's well the said. nature of the Word. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, isn't this the heart of uh, James' pastoral concern in chapter one that we 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 be doers of the word and not hearers only? So that should certainly inform our preparation and preaching that we want to protect those we love and serve from that self-deception. And so, as Jeff said, appropriate to the particular text, how can we apply the text to those we love and serve so that uh, they might respond appropriately and experience transforming grace as a result? <laughs> well, um, hearing you guys preach many times, um, I know your excellent application. When do you start the process of applying and how does it work in your weekly preparation? Well, I'm going to defer to Jeff on this because I've learned the most about preaching from him. And I know that is an excellent question and he's about ready to come out of his chair <laughs> in his answer to that. So, Jeff, how would you answer that excellent question? It is, it is a great yes. question. Although I would say, I, I don't know, and this is not personal flattery time, but I would say I've learned more about application from CJ than anyone else. I think he's just uh, particularly gifted at it in, in very powerful ways. Hey, I do tell the guys in the PC this about application. I think sometimes we can think of, you talk about when do you start it, uh, I think we can think of application as sort of a final step. You know, this is the last thing. Um, it is, you know, we exegete, we exposit, and then we kind of you know, add in application at the end, kind of a pinning the tail of application onto the donkey of my sermon. That is a big error. That can distort, that will distort the role of application, even the shape of application. Mm -hmm. Application is not something we tack onto the end of a sermon. It's the point of the sermon. Um, all application is, is, I mean, back to the nature of Scripture, it's placing a claim on our lives, God is addressing us, He's ruling us with His Word. All application is, is helping people see how we're supposed to respond to this text of Scripture. Mm. We use application yep. to mm. help people see and, and then call them to respond appropriately to God's Word. Mm. Uh, famous 19th century textbook on preaching by John Broadus, he, he says this, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I think this is part of a longer quote, application is the main thing we're trying to get done. Mm. And that does not mean we're just practical preachers. Right. What it means right. is it, he's speaking about the nature of God's Word. Our job is to preach in such a way that people don't just get information about God, but that they hear God's Word addressing them. Mm. So every week we, we are exposing our... That, that's, that's our job. We, we expose our congregation mm. to to that particular text's concrete relevance for our lives. So I, I always encourage guys uh, in, in homiletics class, don't think of application as kind of your final move. Application begins the moment you open your mouth. So when do I start application? The moment I sit down to start preparing. Yep, yep. And, if, and if you think about your sermon, yep. your introduction, and you hop in at any time, no, but I, your, your introduction I, is preparing the way exactly for the text's main idea and thrust, yep. which is meant to address our lives. So your introduction, your introduce, your introduction is already beginning your application. Your proposition, uh, your your main idea, your main thrust, either explicitly or implicitly surfaces the claim of the text. 
which is application. Your illustrations open up windows uh, that, that suggest uh, application. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So well I, in, a, in yep. a faithful expository sermon, treating God's Word uh, in accord with its nature, you're, you're never going to be far away from application. You're always going to be moving towards application. Yeah, and if you approach your preparation the way Jeff is recommending, then you won't be postponing the preparation of the application to the end of the preparation process. And if you do postpone it to the end, then it's most likely going to be lame, (laughs) uh, predictable. And, And so his approach to preparing the sermon and the role of application is critical to the preparation and then, of course, the proclamation of the sermon. Yeah. And I, yep. I would just add uh, absolutely what mm-hmm. you just said is true. Also, your, your interpretation of the text is going to be off because, yep. again, the interpretation, the, the, the key aspect of your interpretation is determining what is this text intending to get done? What yep. redemptive grace does this text bring to us? What redemptive work is this text seeking to accomplish? Um, if every text is given for a purpose, then what is this text's purpose? If I'm not asking that, then I'm not interpreting no, the text that's right. rightly. I'm yeah. getting the text wrong. I don't care how much Greek I know or how much Hebrew I know or how many commentaries I've read. I'm not hearing the message of the text appropriately, or at least in, 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 in a fulsome way. Yeah, so it's the interpretation of the text that informs the application of the text. That's exactly right. And so if I'm preaching through a gospel, the application of that text uh, most likely will be distinct from, uh, let's say, preaching from Exodus or even an epistle. Uh, years ago, I read in Dr. Carson's The Gospel According to John commentary, uh, he, he is writing there about application, and he says on page 100, for quite different reasons, many conservative preachers are so busy drawing applications for their own congregations that they skip the prior question, what does this passage tell us about Jesus? This is not the question of unreflective pietism. It is the question that must be asked precisely because the material we are studying is a gospel. Mm -hmm. So, Jeff, talk to us about the difference between studying and applying a gospel and studying, applying an epistle. Yeah. Well, that that gets me, if I could just take one step back, the point you were were just underlining. Many steps back as you need to. Well, the point you were just underlining, because I think we tend to think of application as more behavioral. Right. You know, what what do I do this week? Yep. Um, Application is going to be determined, you know, what's the application of text? It depends on the text. What is the text calling for? Is it persuasion of the mind? Is it deepening of faith? Does it simply call for Belief Does it call for yeah. a different understanding? Is it addressing our affections? Yes. Yeah. Uh, does it give us specific commands to obey? Does yep. it give practical suggestions? Again, all of that comes in the text. So, to mm. use the example mm. of, a, uh, of a gospel, the, the gospels are, by definition, they're called gospels because they tell the story of the gospel, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's saving acts in the person and work of Christ. And so uh, they, they have this Christ 
revealing yes. intention to mm-hmm. them and this Christ displaying quality to mm-hmm. them. And they are unique opportunities mm. to, to reveal Christ to us. You yes. know, that, that little, yes. that wonderful verse in, mm. in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul speaks about, we, you know, the, the, uh, God speaks to, to shine on our hearts so that we may see the glory of God in the face mm-hmm. of Christ. Mm. That face, what, mm. my face. Well, mm. I think he's speaking of mm. the glory of Christ in his incarnate form. Mm. And the Gospels, mm. I think, are, yes. are glorious <laughs> moments to see the glory of God in the face of Christ, in his actions, yes. in his facial expressions, well said. Uh, his emotions, which we, we get windows mm. into, his, mm. obviously his actions mm. and so forth. So um, the application of a, of a gospel sermon is often going to be just behold. Behold him. That's behold right. Behold him. Yep. Worship him. Glory mm. in him. Yep. See yep. his all-sufficiency yep. for yes. your yes. deficiencies. See his faithfulness in light of your needs. See his glimmering moral purity in light of your sin. And that'll Uh, affect the entirety of your life. That's exactly right. And ultimately, uh, as the Gospels all focus on primarily, or in a a primary way, uh, the the death and resurrection of Christ, where where he becomes our our substitute and our Savior. So So you can't be coming to each sermon just thinking in terms of the category of behavioral, practical, uh, you will you will misinterpret and misapply the text. That's and right. I would also argue you, you'll become very predictable to your congregation. <laughs> they will be anticipating the same predictable kind of application at the end of the sermon. And so Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, to avoid that. Yeah. That that prompts me to think of because the, the Gospels are narratives, and because, so they're stories and they're filled with people, I think we can be very prone to viewing them in moralistic ways. Mm-hmm. So these different characters become models for me to either emulate mm-hmm. uh, or to avoid. Mm-hmm. So we emulate Mary's mm-hmm. uh, devotion and submission to God. We avoid Peter's mm-hmm. impetuousness and... Uh, tendency to put himself mm-hmm. forward and so forth. It, it's not that there's not things to learn from those things, but the key thing to ask about a character in the script, in, in, in a gospel, is how is God using that character mm-hmm. to point to Christ? Mm-hmm. What is God doing in that person or for that person or through that person or sometimes despite that person uh, it, to... Mm-hmm. To, to tell us something more about Christ, to reveal something new about Christ. And so, you know, then Mary doesn't become this merely a model of, of you know, morality to emulate, but we see what, what she is. We can certainly admire her and, and emulate her, but what we see there is God accomplishing his purposes through weak, humble, godly people. God moves through such people. Uh, God accomplishes his his purposes through such people. We see Peter not as just, oh, I don't want to be proud like Peter. No, we see God accomplishing his purposes despite mm-hmm. those things about yeah. Peter. So yeah. how how do those characters mm-hmm. contribute to this portrayal of Christ and who he is for us? So that's just, I think, a yeah. Yeah. helpful yeah. example for me. 
So what about an epistle? You're running an yep. epistle where it's just clear commands, do this, yep. don't do this. Think that, uh, we want to be gospel-centered, and yet the Bible has clear commands. So how do you think through that uh, passage like that when you're doing application? Mm. Mm. Gospel-centered yeah. people love the good and wise commands of God. <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we, want, we want to make sure that our pastors are uh, aware of the indicative imperative distinction um, but when they come to an imperative, yes, it is informed by the indicative close by, but we do not want to be in any way apologizing for the commands of God. Um, we, we don't want to be uh, viewing them as self-justifying in any way, but we want to, uh, without weakening them in any way, celebrate them and commend them uh, in our preaching uh, and applying them in in very specific ways without a fear that somehow by this form of application we are we are contributing to some form of legalism yes great absolutely yeah and i think it it, it helps to to recognize that all of the talking about the epistles in the new testament all of the commands in the epistles are rooted in the doctrine that is that is described in those epistles it, it's a bit simplistic a bit of an oversimplification to say well you know you've got two halves of a lot of these letters you've got instruction and then you've got commands or you've got theology and ethics that's it's a bit of an oversimplification nonetheless um it it, it is true that all of the commands are rooted in in truths rooted in doctrine and rooted in Christ-centered doctrine. Yeah, yeah. And so if you're paying careful attention to the text, you will be protected from mm -hmm. merely being moralistic uh, in driving home the commands because none of the commands come at us right. as bare commands. They come with the promises of God's mm -hmm. enabling grace. Yes. They come as a result of Christ's work in our lives. They come as ways in which we appropriate who we now are as those who have been born again, as those who have the Holy Spirit. Uh, they, they come to, that those commands come to Christians with a particular identity as those who have been united with Christ, those who have been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. They are new creatures. They do have the Holy yes. Spirit. Yes, they battle with sin. That's why yes. the commands are there. Yep. They, are, they are means yep. by which we are both motivated and enabled to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Nonetheless, they come mm. with an implicit promise. Yes. <laughs> God yes. is beckoning us to appropriate his grace. Excellent. God is beckoning us to yep. joy by mm. obeying mm -hmm. him. And he's, he's beckoning mm. us to depend on him and receive grace so that our lives may more faithfully mm. uh, display uh, Christ and his work in our lives. Uh, great. All right. Uh, last question for this session. And you guys have done a great job, not surprisingly. Um, just take that over to the Old Testament. So you, you have these Old Testament narrative stories, very tempting to be behavioristic or moralistic on those stories. How do you think through the same thing? You know, Jesus said, the Old Testament's about me. How do you think through the same thing when you have those Old Testament stories? Mm. Yeah. Well, you want me to hop in? Not hop in. You seem poised I, to, to speak, so I wanted to give no, you. I, well, I'm more poised to listen to you. And since you are the only scholar that I see yeah. in the room, you need to be answering these questions first. My role on this podcast is actually, Mickey, to, to, to emulate a... a 
driver in a NASCAR race <laughs> and just draft behind Jeff. Behind Jeff? Yes. Yeah. So occasionally just pull out and go in front of him. Uh, yeah. So, yes, you should answer. They that Earnhardt question. would say rattle his cage a little bit. Okay. Oh, well, I do that quite yeah, well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, Jeff. Better, better than most. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I think guys actually shrink away from preaching in the Old Testament because they, they don't want to deal with this. So can you yeah. give us a little bit on that? Sure, good. Excellent question. It's helpful to think, I mean, we all know, I think most of us know, you know, the Bible's about Jesus. That's good. Um, okay, well, yeah, hold on. <laughs> Make a note Everybody of that. write that down. Yeah. 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 Don't go too fast here. The, the, Can we uh, get that on a plaque? You know, the Bible is, the, the Bible, well, like you said, you know, Jesus yeah. said it's, it's Bible about. Bible is about Jesus. It's about me. Jeff Perswell. Okay. Slow down. Yes. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the question is, <laughs> the much more important question Maybe is. Maybe I will pass. <laughs> I was setting myself up to correct. Unless he improves this answer, yeah. I'm going around him. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this better be good. No. no. <laughs> Which you no. would not perceive as what comes Yeah, no. It's all right. When you voice it through, I'll, yep. I'll finish. Yep. No. All our pastors, the Bible is about Jesus. I'm going to think about yeah. that all the way up. Yeah, yeah, no. Hmm. Perhaps you should conclude this podcast yeah. right now. Maybe yeah. we're done. Yeah. No, but the, the question is, we laugh about that, in, in what way is it about Jesus? And so um, it's not that... Every single Old Testament text has Jesus in it, or it is an explicit reference to him. I mean, we know this. But th think about what the Bible is. It's redemptive revelation. It is, it is a revelation of God and his, his creation of and interactions with his creation. Mankind is the image of God in particular. In and especially his redemptive actions toward his creation, mankind in particular. So it's about God redeeming all of creation, and in particular, the bullseye of that redeeming work is the crown of his creation, mankind. So all of this, all of Scripture is about God uh, redeeming a people for himself. All of the Bible is about that. Now, that redeeming work finds its climax its culmination in the person and work of Christ. So it's not as if every text, of course, speaks about the person and work of Christ, but it speaks about God's redeeming actions that find their climax there. And the assumption of the biblical writers is because that's the case, that there is an organic connection between all of Scripture and that climactic moment, the person and work of Christ. So when I'm in an Old Testament text, that's, that's what, I'm, what, what I'm looking for. What, what redemptive activity, listen, it'll be different depending on the text, but in, in a general way, what redemptive activity is occurring here yeah. that Excellent. will find its greatest expression in the person work of Christ and therefore points towards that mm -hmm. or prepares for that? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes that is in a... Uh, and I've, perhaps we've mentioned this on, on one of these earlier yeah, podcasts. Keep repeating this. We need to hear it again. Per, perhaps that's in a more redemptive historical way. Mm -hmm. I, I sort of have two categories in my mind. Some texts are more redemptive historical, meaning they, are, they play a specific role in the history of redemption, in the unfolding history of redemption. 
And so there, if you sort of picture a timeline, draw a timeline of biblical history, on that timeline, draw the cross, and then on that timeline, plot where this text falls, then you get a sort of a pictorial representation of, okay, this text relationship to Christ. How do I get to the cross? What is the relationship of this text? Sometimes it's more the other category I think of is, is a redemptive theological. So it's not so much contributing to the unfolding of redemptive history, but it's giving us aspects of, uh, aspects of, uh, of redemption. Either maybe it's a text that just talks about God and his holiness. So it's not, pro it's not uh, propelling the story forward, but it is telling us something about God, which then, uh, so if it's the holiness of God, well, the cross, the cross is the answer to that. It's the expression of God's holiness, uh, pouring out his wrath uh, upon sin. Or maybe it's, it's an, we're seeing the mercy of God towards, towards the downcast. And of course, the cross is, is the ultimate expression of that. Or, yeah, or you read one of these horrible, I just finished Judges in my devotions, and you read some of these latter chapters, and there's these horrible stories about people doing, well, it's just, so what is that? How does that point to you? Well, it just shows humanity in its condition of, of depravity and where we can go and what and how yes. desperately we need the yes. grace of God yes. that's going to come, yes. first of all, not just to Jesus, first of all with a king, which Judges is preparing for, and then that king obviously points to the ultimate king who's coming. And so um, I, I think just by, by paying attention to both the larger structure of redemptive revelation and where my text fits into, then I think, because we don't want to just make the, you know, the proverbial beeline to Christ, nor do we want to just tack Jesus onto the end of our sermon, yes. but we want to think carefully, how does this text relate to Christ and his work mm -hmm. organically? And not just to substitutionary atonement. Sometimes it's, um, it's to other aspects of Christ. Uh, other aspects of his character, other aspects of his work. Other, uh, so uh, I think if we do that sort of exercise, uh, we, we will make appropriate and, and I think even richer connections to uh, the redemptive nature of Scripture and ultimately to Christ himself. Mm -hmm. well, well said. Well said. Yeah, I've learned the most about preaching from Jeff personally, and the, my favorite book is... Uh, Christ-centered preaching by Brian Chapel, and my favorite quote, I think, in response to what you're saying, is on page 275 when he writes, "In its context, every passage possesses one or more of four redemptive foci. Every text is predictive of the work of Christ, preparatory for the work of Christ, reflective of the work of Christ, and/or resultant of the work of Christ." So that accompanies me no matter what book of the Bible I'm okay. studying personally or in preparation for a, mm -hmm. a sermon. Yeah. You good with that quote, Jack? Oh, no. I, yeah, that's a, that's a classic quote that I love and have learned from. The now, I know you want to bring this to a close, and you should, uh, because it's there. already gone too long. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure anybody's still listening, but right. we, we aren't done this topic. No, no, so, we're, yeah, we're we need actually to do, pick it up next Okay, month. okay, good. We need, we need to do another CJ, Jeff, thank you, and um, look forward to picking this topic up next month.